0: Make Me Smart is brought to you by Gobble, a meal prep company delivering freshly prepped gourmet dinner kits that are table ready in 15 minutes with just one pan. This is for the moms and dads out there. Gobble's sous chefs do the prep so you spend less time chopping and more time with family. Save $50 on your first box at gobble.com slash Smart and by Navy Federal Credit Union. Their flagship rewards credit card offers three times points on all travel purchases and two times points on everything else. You'll also get other benefits like a statement credit for global entry and TSA pre-check of up to $100, 24-7 stateside member support and access to Navy Federal's online shopping center. Check out NavyFederal.org for more information and to apply now. (sighs)
1: If they caught that deep sigh there when we turned the microphone. I don't know. Hey, everybody! I'm Kai Rizdolf.
0: and I'm Molly Wood, and welcome to Make Me Smart, home of the deep sigh, deep, deep, the, the Kai deep sigh. Sighs.
1: <sighs> <laughs> so every week we dive into the big issues in tech, as you know, also the economy and culture, and we are joined by all of you because, say it with me now: none of us is as smart as all of us. I like deep sigh topics. I'm not gonna lie. Well, deep well, sigh yeah, no, topics. You know what? I'm not surprised. Not surprised.
0: Actually, this week, I think this is going to be a little bit more fun. We're going to talk about our terrifying, all-encompassing surveillance economy. Deep side topics are not fun. Those are not fun. Uh, Sometimes we go to the dark place. Yes. We're not going to lie. This week, we're not going to totally do that. I mean, we are going to raise the specter of a smart home that could lock you in and spy on you and kill you, but in like a slightly Molly. happier way. What, what even was that? We're going to talk that? about smart homes.
1: What even was that?
0: I just, I I watched too much sci-fi, you guys. A couple of months back, uh, listener Jordan Perry from Denver, Colorado, sent us, you may recall, this interesting question, which we are going to replay here for all of you because it launched a thousand further conversations. Uh, The upshot is that her landlord told her complex, without much notice, that her apartment was going to be upgraded for her convenience (laughs) to a smart apartment.
2: We are all getting keyless entry into our units, a digital thermostat and a smart water sensor as well as compatibility with other smart home services. This will all be managed via a third-party app on our phones, which, side note, is hosted on Amazon Web Services. As someone with major concerns about my data privacy and my personal privacy, I would never choose to have a smart home for myself, and I'm concerned about the fact that this upgrade is happening basically without my consent. So my question for you guys is, as a tenant, what can and should I be demanding of my property managers relative to my data and personal privacy?
1: So. What we did with that was we turned it into this episode of this podcast. Mm -hmm. Get a load of us. Uh, Because, look, there's a whole lot going on here, right? There's privacy. There's data in the home. uh, There's uh, uh, being uh, involved in that data in a receptive and accepting kind of way. It's just really interesting.
0: Yeah. And not for nothing, since that question was asked... Uh, Amazon made an announcement about putting Alexa, like a bunch of new Alexa devices, and then putting Alexa into every device from, you know, a car, which is true, to a microwave, which is also true. And then Facebook came along and announced the Facebook portal, yep. which I still maintain is like the creepiest name ever for a device that's going to live inside your house and be a portal well, but that's into everything okay, you do with Facebook, a camera.
1: Facebook really respects your privacy, so everything's going to be fine. They're really good
0: at protecting yes. it, too.
1: Just ask them. They care. Um, Message, they care. It
0: has a camera in it, you guys. A camera. So it turned into a super relevant question. And not only do you ask us the good questions, you give us the good answers. Our expert this week <laughs> oh, snap. See what we do is there? a listener because none of us is as smart as all of us. Listener David Wiltz is a tech consultant who does this for a living and works with developers on building smart buildings and smart homes, installing this kind of technology yeah. into condo complexes all around the world, in China, and Santiago, Chile, the Middle East, Chicago, all over. And when he heard Jordan's question, he wrote us a really long answer. And then we were like, oof, TLDR, bro. Get on the phone with us.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. So we called him. Oh, my God. Has there ever been a more Mollywood <laughs> phrase ever than TLDR, bro? Oh my God! And also, had I said that, I'd have gotten crucified. But anyway, I know. So- I'm a little embarrassed, but I also wanted on a T-shirt. Oh, I'm not gonna lie. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So anyway, so not only does he do this for a living, uh, David Waltz, but he has a smart home himself. So we sat down with him. We chit-chatted for a while. You're going to hear that in a minute. First, though, uh, we uh, had him go on a tour with a guy holding a a microphone in front of his face because we weren't in (laughs) Chicago. Um, It's all integrated into his family and his life, including something uh, called the bedtime button.
2: All right. So we're in the foyer of our house here and... My son Harry, when he was younger, was afraid of the dark, as every kid is, and how most adults are, too, if they would admit it. But Harry wouldn't want to go upstairs to get ready for bed and do bath if there were no lights on upstairs. And so what we did was put in a keypad at the bottom of the stairs, and the very bottom button is what we call the bedtime button. And when he hits that button... All of the lights on the second floor turn on. And this was a thing that enabled him to have some sense of independence. I mean. Right.
0: Who doesn't want a bedtime button right now? (laughs) I do. Uh, Let's see. David has automatic lights in the laundry room, temperatures scheduled with a smart thermostat for the freezing Chicago mornings, and... Uh, or the hot ones, I guess, because that happens too. And another innovation specifically for his son, who is now 11 and maybe doesn't need the bedtime button so much. Although I have an 11 year old. I'm not gonna lie. We, we could use it. Really? But uh, yeah. smart because he went to the movies and it's stupid October. I hate October when every TV commercial and every preview in front of yeah. the movies is scary. Well, of it's course. also scary.
1: Well, d- d- anyway, that, hence my never go see a scary movie. But that's a whole different thing about me. But no,
0: anyway. we didn't even go to a scary movie, no. just like a regular movie. But all the previews are scary because it's a stupid October. Anyway,
1: <laughs> also <laughs> I, have hate, inherited... I hate Halloween. Have I told anybody that? I am. That's a whole
0: different. I thing. am mad about. <gasps>
1: you do? Oh, I do. I hate. Oh Halloween.
0: man, I went to Costco last night and I bought four bags. I could have a football team over
1: for Halloween. Um well of, of what? Of candy or of Halloween decoration? Of candy. Oh yeah, that's a different thing. Candy's fine, but Oh no, I de-
0: have like I have the skeleton crawling out of my yard. I like know. I've got the creepy pass. lights and the pass, space pass, you don't pass, have
1: pass. that? Hard pass. Aww. Hard pass. Anyway, back to David and the and the uh electronic home.
0: Yes, and the amazing system that he set up for his son, the smart technology that can help his kid with guitar practice.
2: We tell him he has to practice for a half an hour. And so he's always trying to ask us, am I done? Has it been a half an hour? And we realized we were getting on each other's nerves all the time when he had to practice. And so now he uses Alexa and an Amazon Dot. So he'll ask Alexa to start a timer for 30 minutes, and then the songs that he's practicing, like Alexa, play, Should I Stay or Should I Go?, and Alexa will play the song. You.
3: Darling, you got to let me know Should I stay or should I go?
2: And then he'll practice his guitar along with it. And it ends up being a great practicing tool because we get all of the different songs via the Amazon Prime membership. And if, if it's a song we don't, have via Prime, we just buy the song, and then he can practice all of the songs he's playing with his band using the uh, Amazon Dot.
1: Oh, that I had had an Amazon device when I was practicing the cello in fourth grade. But anyway, um, <laughs> I would I would still not be playing the cello. That's all I'm saying. Um, so that look, it's pretty th- clever though. Uh, it is pretty clever, a- and and the thing is that David obviously he loves devices and tech and all that jazz. But but here's the thing: since he does this professionally, he knows the risk, right? He knows the downside. So we sat down with him uh, for a longer chat about um, security, privacy around technology in the home. And we started with, you know, whether he worries about these devices, keeping an eye on his family.
2: Oh, of course. And I think, though, more than myself thinking that, my wife thinks that, uh, too. My wife regularly unplugs the Alexa as soon as my, my son finishes using it for guitar practice.
1: Well, So how does that go over you being the digital <laughs> home guy and her being the unplugged the Alexa woman? How does that work?
2: It's a really great balance because (laughs) – at least I think it is because my family is, uh, you know, has been subjected to a lot of experiments over the years. And my wife is very different than I am. For instance, every morning she comes down and turns on WFMT, the local classic radio station. So I figured why not have it turn on automatically at 7 a.m. on a weekday and 8 a.m. on a weekend. (gasps)
1: And did, and did you freak her out? I was
2: just No, gonna- she knew it was coming. She knew it was coming. I told okay. her I was going to do it. But she, at the end of the day, you know, wanted to be in control of it instead of having it automatically happen. And mm-hmm. I think it's great as long as people have a chance to opt in and opt out. And so we've done a lot of experiments to see, you know, what's that balance between convenience and doing your normal routine?
0: I did an interview recently where I had somebody very nicely explain that when people worry about privacy with respect to smart homes, they're often worried about the wrong thing. Like, yes, there's data being collected on you. No, it's not happening if you're not talking directly to the device. Is that just a hard thing to convince people of?
2: Really, it doesn't take convincing. And one Hmm. of the things that, that I work on is trying to create a new model that makes the old model obsolete. And everybody carries around a smartphone now, even though it's a recording device and a video recording device, and it knows exactly where you are at all times. But people want the convenience of that more than the risk of what privacy they may be giving up as a result. And with technology, I've found when people want that inconvenience to go away or want that new feature or new convenience to be a part of their lives, they do it. So, you know, I would say the rate of the adoption varies greatly by someone's age.
1: Yeah, for sure. I was going to roll out my yep. mother as an example here, and and uh, yep. it's it's been established that she doesn't listen to this podcast because she doesn't know what podcasts are, so I'm safe in saying this. <laughs> she would rather be yeah. dead than have the lights turn on automatically when she gets up in the middle of the night to go pee. Honest to God, it would scare the hell out of her. Well,
2: mm-hmm. what's interesting, though, is that I know a lot of old people, and I've worked w- in senior— living where we do have the occupancy sensors in there but instead of having the lights go bang all the way on when they get up to go to the bathroom at two in the morning they go up to maybe five percent or ten percent just enough so they can see their way to the bathroom comfortably but not enough for it to be a jarring experience and it's those kinds of little things that really make all of this inviting
0: Wait, so I want to back up a little bit because I feel like we sort of glossed over some of the things that you have enabled in your own home for, for convenience. And to be honest, uh, I want to know how because I feel like it's so nascent that only someone like you can figure <laughs> mm-hmm. out how to make all these things work together so well. Yeah What are yeah. what are some of the magical – like the tell us about the laundry lights and the bathroom, the bedtime button, and the guitar practice. How are you making this all sure. work?
2: Sure. So really one of the things we're seeing a change is that people want – the smart technology in their homes when they buy it instead of having to retrofit it in after they own their home. Um, I've tried doing both in my house. I have an uh, older house. It was built in 1939, and I've run probably a good quarter mile of cable, if not more, throughout the house Mm -hmm. wiring all the speakers up and everything like that. But now there are lots of convenient things you can use like Sonos and, mm-hmm. you know, other Wi-Fi types of things. And really it is still very new to the world at large and it's really people who who are a little less fearful of the technology that are really figuring out ways to make it work. But I've been lucky because, um, you know, I've been able to – test a lot of the equipment for the manufacturers because they know, you know, what I do and the clients I have. So I am frequently a beta tester Hmm. for a lot of uh, the technology. And Hmm. I have to be cognizant of all the risks of everything because if I recommend it to a client and then it becomes a huge, you know, security breach or personal data breach, I'm culpable in that. And I would never want to be a part of anything negative happening yeah. with all of this. Sure.
1: So you're clearly the converted already, right? But let's let's look at somebody like Jordan Perry, our listener who we heard from uh, before we got you on the yeah. phone, uh, who is leery of living in this now connected apartment. A- and really, I think what's at the base of her, her uh, leeriness uh, is expectations of privacy in the home, right?
2: Oh, absolutely. And I share her concerns completely. Because all of these devices can be listening devices and recording devices. What's also interesting, though, is that I would be interested if she had a Facebook account. Because she's much more vulnerable from a privacy standpoint from her Facebook page hmm. and participating hmm. in that forum than she is with someone knowing when her you know, air conditioning turns on and turns off.
1: God, Well, when you say it like that, it sounds so rational. Yeah.
0: It really does, yeah. actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and are you encountering an increased amount of skepticism? Because I do wonder if there isn't inappropriate fear mongering, right? Like when you put it that way, you say Facebook's more dangerous than your Nest thermostat. Are people going to yeah. start to worry about things? Like are your clients going to say, oh, God, I don't know if I should have this like unbelievably convenient bedtime button right? because it might be spying on me. When you're going, dude, sure. all these other things are just buying on you all the time.
2: The thing that it comes down to from all the research I've done and the work I've done with clients is, is there a market out there for the data? Does anybody mm. want to buy from Nest how frequently people's air conditioning turns on and off? Who is that data valuable to? And I really can't see anyone caring when the lights go on and off and when the air conditioner turns on and off. And most of the data, if it leaves your house, like via a smart thermostat or you have a doorbell or lock or something like that, those messages are encrypted via IP. And that's not to say everything's safe, but someone would have to really try hard to hack into your house to take control of things. And to what end? You'd have to be you'd have to be a target.
0: It sounds like you're saying exactly. like we tend to overestimate our threat matrix, our personal threat matrix, like unless you are a dissident or a spy or it's corporate espionage, like no one's likely to use your smart home against you. I think the real question though I think is when you're talking about big buildings or condos or you know our listener Jordan um Yep. How does how do those downstream impacts, like how do people live, working in those buildings or living in those condos feel like they have some control over this technology and, and what it's collecting about them, if anything?
2: So, yeah, the most important thing is to be able to opt in and opt out. And, I mean, I really hate when you are using a new application, you have to tick the box and automatically accept their terms and conditions before you can use something. And typically, when you read those terms and conditions in detail, they're really trying to do CYA. They're trying to cover their butts from any potential liability. They actually, in the wording, frequently don't care about your data. However, that doesn't stop them from saying, hey, this is a family that could afford a Nest thermostat. (laughs) They're in this demographic, therefore— And that's where the data is valuable. They don't care about you using the system. They care about your demographic of being able to purchase it and use it to begin
1: with. Right. So how long until we are all living your smart home life, do you think?
2: Um, I would say it'll take 25 years at Hmm. least. Wow. And the Mm -hmm. reason I say that is because of the challenges in the design and construction industry itself. And how most people in the design industry, architects, engineers, consultants, aren't savvy about all of this. And so they don't know how to design it in and specify it. And further, there typically aren't contractors out there that are ready to go and install it. Hmm. However, where this will change is where you see the big home builders. You know, these these builders that'll go do a 300-home development. Yeah. Yeah. and There, you can buy the smart home package for an extra eight grand. And everybody's like, hell yeah, give me that eight grand system. And then it's sold as part of your house and it becomes part of your mortgage payment. But it really should be a thousand dollar investment to have a complete smart home. And there are off the shelf companies that make this stuff now. And it's funny because Doug and I are in the basement right now, and because we're not moving, the occupancy sensors are turning the lights <laughs> off on us. <laughs>
1: so technology's but, um, gonna bite you in the fanny, doesn't yeah. it?
2: Exactly. And this is this is the thing: is that by living with it, I, you know, I have to, uh, I already understand what right. the challenges are, right. and that's why right.
1: you know we wanted to put this stuff in. So Doug, we should say, is the guy that we uh, hired to go do the actual in-person tape recording of uh, David in his house. Um, so exactly. that, that's who Doug was. Uh, and that was
0: our, and that was, by the way, our listener David Wiltz. In yes. case you, uh, we're not here for the beginning of the podcast, <laughs> yes. or you know, that's when the that's yeah. when the coffee machine machine was going, and he d- he does this for a living. Yeah. So it was good to get the what to freak out about. I call these the what to freak out about type interviews. So
1: do I have it right <laughs> that you don't you you would you don't have uh, a, a listening device in your home?
0: Oh no, I do. Oh, I do. In fact, I just—I basically just consolidated down to one type of listening device. So I've had Uh both, and just this exact week had this drama with the Google Home. So I have an Amazon Echo that broke. I think it got wet, maybe. So we were down to just a dot, (laughs) maybe. And the dot has terrible sounds. Yeah, sound. So I have that plugged into this little Jawbone speaker, and then I also have a Google Home, which has great sound, and that was in the living room, and it was a little speaker. But the Google Home started malfunctioning maybe two months ago, yeah. and every time I would ask it a question, it would say, uh, sorry, something went wrong. Try again later. So I'm on the web looking up all these possible solutions, and of course, there's no like tech support for this, so yeah, no. it's just whatever by, Reddit by, turns out. new
1: one. that's the tech support.
0: Kind of. Well, and then the tech support was like, oh, something about this is related to your home address and oh, what it thinks your home address uh, is. And I was uh, like, wait, please. what? Excuse me? So then I just got mad and was like, I'm not even fixing it. And then I got too annoyed, and so I was trying to fix it two days ago. And the solutions are so weird, but people were like, this worked for me. Go to Google Maps, delete your home address, and then re-enter it. No. So I open up. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it needs to match. The entire surveillance engine needs to all be uh, working off the same information, (laughs) I guess.
1: Yes, right? Now I understand.
0: And that's the problem. (laughs) Right, so I... So I'm like, all right, I surrender. I go to Google Maps. I delete my home address. I attempt to manually re-enter it, and then I get this pop-up on my phone that says, "This is an iOS, and I don't know." And it says, "Oh, you, in order to save a location like your home address, you have to turn back on the setting that lets us track all your searches and deliver wow. you targeted ads across your phone." Because I turned that off, and I was like. Wow. So what you're telling me is that your standalone gadget will not accept my voice commands unless I have fully opted into your entire system and I unplugged that sucker and I went to Amazon and I ordered a new Echo. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. Even if that's all a series of mistakes, it is going to come down to trust about where, when you buy these devices. Like, look, at least at this point, and not for nothing, Amazon's trying to develop a big, huge ad network and that's going to complicate their privacy argument a lot. and. Not for nothing. They've never said a word about privacy with Amazon, yeah. with the Echo, yeah. ever. However, at least right now, I know they're just trying to sell me stuff. Yeah. I can't say the same about Google. And I don't, I'm so annoyed that their giant surveillance network wants that much control that I was like, I'm not using that gadget.
1: Don't be there, evil, you go. People. Don't be evil. We have picture. I have, I have a, an Amazon Echo story, which is nowhere near as good, so I'll save it for another time. Uh, we've got pictures <laughs> of David Smart House on our website, makemesmart.org. and also, uh, and to the to the bigger point, this conversation that we're having, uh, it, it's not just with me and Molly. You know, we got a Facebook group. It's super easy. Search "Make Me Smart" podcast. You can post articles, discuss the show, join our community. Molly and I uh, may swing by. I don't know. I think I joined. Did somebody join on my behalf? I don't even remember.
0: I joined, and sometimes I stealth like things. Do Really? I mean, I try. I don't want to like, I don't want to be a downer in the Facebook group ever or like, I'm listening. But oh my God, the conversations that are happening in the Make Me Smart podcast you group guys, are so not. Not only, wait,
1: not only is Google lurking and listening, so is Molly Wood. Just yeah, but at saying, least I'm straightforward about saying,
0: it. I'm not sharing your information saying, with third parties. Re-enter
1: your home address so that Molly Wood can lurk. Your freaking home address. That's Why do saying, you even need that's that's that?
0: Now, I also should point out that the Amazon Echo, when I set up the new one, has it? Want it? Also wants to know where you're located.
1: All right, we gotta take a break. We'll be back. Bye.
0: <laughs> Make Me Smart is brought to you by Charles Schwab. Their modern approach to investing is providing award-winning full service and low costs. It's transparency about how much you're paying in fees and commissions. It's offering some of the lowest costs in the industry, including online equity trades for $4.95. And if you're not satisfied for any reason, they'll refund the fees and work with you to make things right. Visit schwab.com slash money to learn about their low-cost satisfaction guarantee and award-winning service. And by G Suite. By Google Cloud, a suite of cloud-based productivity tools that includes Gmail, Docs, Slides, Sheets, and Drive. These tools improve your work life both in terms of your experience and what you create, hence their campaign, Make It With G Suite. You know when you have 20 identical versions of a document labeled Final And no clue which is the
1: latest. I know, I know. So you make another one, and then you name that one Final Final, right? Well, with G Suite by Google (laughs) Cloud, a range of work apps like Gmail, Docs, and Slides let you make real-time updates to the same document without having to keep track of version after version after version after version of a project. And since all the tools are cloud-based, the whole team can access the same document and work on the same page at the very same time. So to find out more about G Suite's productivity tools, visit gsuite.com. That is gsuite.com. We're back. Oh, I was a little late on that. Damn. This anyway, just like a hair. I know. I know. I know. I know. Look, timing is everything, man. time is everything. All right, it's our turn. <laughs> All right, who's going first? You, you, you want are. you once again have like two and a half. Can I just say? No, I don't. You do I only too. have two. <laughs> I think you're I mean, no, no. I'm point. sorry.
0: I only have one. <laughs> I only have one. All that other stuff was just was pre assigned to me, apparently. But I, I considered it background for oh, our boy, piece. Do I not and I'm... You.
1: All right. Anyway, so I'm I'm actually so so mine's only like a half, actually, because it's a little bit of a retread from like a month ago. <laughs> but it's in the news. And so I want to bring it up. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell sat down with Bloomberg today and had a lot to say about a lot of things. And obviously, it's a man with a tremendous amount of influence, as we all know. Um, and here's what he said. About the U.S. budget deficit, which we learned this morning or yesterday afternoon, actually, technically uh, Monday afternoon is a ginormous and b growing uh, and and holy cow. Anyway, so McConnell, who, uh, remember, leads a party that passed a one point four trillion dollar tax cut that increases the deficit by a trillion and a half dollars over 10 years, right over the debt uh, over 10 years. Uh, McConnell said today, and here's a quote from Bloomberg, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says the U.S. budget deficit is, quote, disturbing and spending on entitlement programs must be addressed by both Republicans and Democrats, unquote. Here's why that's interesting. Number one, the aforementioned tax cut that the Republicans passed. Number two, oh, now he's got religion. And number three, and this is the pivotal thing, I think it's really interesting that he is now co-opting the Democrats into uh, trying to do something about the deficit. I think it's real. This is a political uh, moment of pivot, if you will, where McConnell now is going to try to shame the Dems into uh, dealing with a deficit that the Republicans created in the name of entitlement reform, which, yeah. as we know, is a very touchy and interesting subject. And I just want to get that out there again. And I apologize for the retread. That's it.
0: I, I don't well, I don't think it's a retread at all. I
1: said something about the deficit like a month ago. So.
0: Well, but it all is building on itself. That's exactly and right. And what it's building to is the part where Social Security and Medicare come on the line. Yep. yep. And you and just don't. It's uh, Yeah. And, yep. And, I agree. And Paul, it's like
1: you can't. Yep. Paul, Paul Ryan was talking about it six, you know, eight-ish weeks ago. I mean, it's so it's coming. And so look for that one. Anyway, that's mine.
0: I have one topic with kay. two links. <laughs>
1: oh, man, are you cheating. But go ahead.
0: Is what confuse you? I, I can do what I want. It's my fixation. I well, will do that's it. True. Um, Ryan Single, Stanford researcher, put out a study in which he attempted to filter out all of the bots and fake and redundant comments that were submitted through the Federal Communications Commission system during the net neutrality repeal mm-hmm. public comment period. Mm-hmm. So there were like twenty two million. there, lot, there were yeah. rampant accusations of fraud and hacking. He uh, made some AI used a machine learning program to weed out any duplicates. And that includes the people who copied and pasted form letters, Mm -hmm. for or against. After he filtered out all those submissions, he was left with 800,000 unique comments. Out of all of those comments, 0.3% supported the repeal of net neutrality. Hmm. All of the rest were in favor of strong net neutrality regulations. He also found that many of the comments, which he said showed a nuanced understanding of policy, commenters understood the issue, came from rural areas and Republican districts where there is, frankly, not a lot of competition. Hmm. And Hmm. when I posted this earlier, I got this great tweet in response being this flooded with false and illegitimate communications and shaped by it is so beyond ironic wrote Thomas R. Wood that it breaks the neck of irony and democracy with
1: it ouch that's 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 a good image breaks the neck that's a good image I know right Ooh. that was a
0: it was very evocative I went ahead and retweeted that <laughs> anyway it was a very interesting uh, it was a very interesting yeah, discovery
1: I bet. I bet. and also kind of a bummer all right uh, so that's it that's it for us now uh, you you
3: Hi, Kai and Molly.
1: This is Brent in Detroit.
3: This is Rebecca from Baltimore.
2: It was great to hear comments on my question about GDPR. I wanted to put in my vote. I want to discuss a slightly different but maybe related thing.
0: (gasps) You know that guy? Okay, the slightly different but maybe related thing. He has a name. It is Matthew. (laughs) He saw on Twitter that I'm going to be at the Chicago Ideas Festival later this week. And uh, he was like, "Let's let's get a coffee. Like, can we at least say hi and have a photo op? So we're gonna to try to. I'm gonna be on the ground for like 97 minutes, but wow. we're gonna to try to make it happen, Good deal. which is also just awesome. I was like, oh my god, it's mm-hmm. all it all t- comes together in the tangled web that we weave.
1: What what's your uh, what's your panel? AI, of course. Uh.
0: <laughs> Should we fear it?
1: <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, so last week during our <laughs> Explainathon, we had a question from listeners about esports, and we asked you guys whether you thought esports, in fact, count as real sports. Kathy N says, and this is a quote: "No, just." No. Ben Newton, on the other hand, left us a voice memo. It's a little bit longer.
2: So Kai and Molly asked, are esports real sports? Should they be in the Olympics?
3: Curling is in the Olympics. (laughs) If Mm. curling can be in the Olympics, so can video games. I mean, come on. Curling Fortnite.
1: (laughs) Curling
2: Fortnite. Which would you rather watch?
1: So, look, uh, two two things. One, when I was living in Canada, uh, I watched a lot of curling, and I think that's actually an athletic event. Number two, uh, did you see the Norwegian team's pants during the Olympics? Exactly. That's worth it alone. Oh, my God.
0: I am so happy that you said yes. that because I was thinking the same thing. I was like, dude, I'm just saying that pants thing was really yes. exciting and interesting. Uh, curling is pretty cool, actually. Yeah. I yeah. would take issue with that, that comparison. Totally. The one where they, like, ski a bunch and then shoot stuff— I would rather watch Fortnite than that. Really? Maybe. I don't know. That's oh pretty my cool God. too. No, come on. You're right. Go run like awesome.
1: 30 miles and then try to hit a target 50 yards away. Go ahead with unbelievable accuracy, right. ten
0: times in a row too. I know. As soon as I said that, I was like, wait, okay. no, that's like all my right. favorite thing. All
1: right, so all you biathlon fans out there, back down because I'm wrong. I am extremely
0: wrong about that. It is super cool, and so is Fortnite. Several of you wrote to us after we aired our podcast. Get it? <laughs> episode about the cannabis industry Mark Dimore sees all the new business opportunities Molly, your podcast episode was
2: excellent.
3: <laughs> My work history and experience is medical <laughs> pharmaceutical marketing and branding. Today the marijuana market is no longer tie-dyed
2: shirts, bongs and Jimi Hendrix posters. It is Charles Eames furniture, four star meals, first edition books and Tesla's we see an opportunity. Thank you, Molly and Kai. Keep up the good work.
1: When I was a cub reporter at KQED in San Francisco 20 years ago, we had just, California had not too uh, long before that passed the medical marijuana statute that allowed medical marijuana, which was, let's be completely frank, abused in the extreme at some of the pot shops in San Francisco. Anyway, I had to go down there and mm-hmm. talk to a guy named Dennis Perrone, who was the leader of that movement. I walked in, got a contact high. True story. Yeah. True yeah. story. Went back to the station and everybody was like, whoa, dude, what? True
0: story. <laughs> I I love that that only happened to you one time?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, got, well, <laughs> I feel I got like smart. that's any I, given I, Tuesday I, I stayed like outside Oakland, and but... said, hey Dennis, can you come out? Anyway, all right. Uh, we got a little fact check in here uh, from Greg Baker uh, and here's what he writes. CBD is not cannabinoid. CBD is specifically cannabinoid, cannab- I'm going to blow this as he says in the middle of blowing it. Cannabinoid, cannabidiol. So cannabinoids are a number perhaps more than 100 of particular chemicals created by the cannabis plant, including THC and others. So let's be clear here. Cannabidiol. Boom. Wow. I know, right? <laughs> Look, <laughs> okay. the name of the podcast is Make Me Smart and we it It is.
0: And now- Minus the contact No. You column. know, cannabidiol yes. is a specific one yes. that they use and that's the one that might end up in Coca-Cola. Yes. Got yes. it. Check. Okay. And of course- the Make Me Smart question. That question is, what is something you thought you knew you later found out you were wrong about? Our listener is pretty close to home on this one. Let's roll the tape.
3: Hi, Kai. Hi, Molly. So something I thought I knew that I later found out I was wrong about. In college, I thought I wanted to be an archaeologist and I was hooked so much that I spent all my savings and spent it to go on an archaeology dig in the Middle East. It was actually Tel Megiddo, so... Super exciting and important historical place. And it was not for me. Not at all for me. I did not want to be an archaeologist. After about a week there, I figured that out. But all was not lost. There was a woman on the site named Jessica Siegel who was writing an article about the dig for National Geographic. And that, that interested me. And so when I went back to college in the fall, I ditched the archaeology. I instead went with anthropology, which is sort of a more general uh, category of the study of humans, which is how I got into ethnography, which is what the Library Congress has so much of. And then I added journalism, which is, you know, in its own way, the study of humans as well. So uh, that is the story of my little foray into archaeology.
1: Okay. So you know what's really funny? Mm. I didn't actually recognize who that was for about 15 seconds because she has a cold. I'm just saying.
0: Oh my God! Wow. Are you just now? Okay, clicking that's in? Are you just now getting it? Yeah, that was a super slow burn on my part. <laughs> speaking of podcasts. So, so that was
1: Eve Tro, the senior producer <laughs> of this Eve podcast, Tro. and and uh, <laughs> she, you know, she told us a little story, uh, but I didn't recognize who it was, and for that, Eve, I apologize. He says as he looks through the control room glass.
0: It's funny because that was I, I. Thank goodness you're here. That was a um, say that again. I'm going to make that my ringtone. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> You get one shot, oh, guys. You get one shot, <laughs> Uh, That is hilarious. And also that my little attempt to retell her story about archaeology leading to ethnography in some way led to like a yeah. thousand corrections. People were like, ethnography is not part of archaeology. It is part oh of my An- God. anthropology. Oh, my God. So thank goodness she, because everybody knows they uh, all know everything. Yes. Yep.
1: So if Eve can do it, y'all can do it. The make me smart question. What's something you thought you knew but you found out you were wrong about
0: send them to us make me smart at marketplace.org is our email address and you might hear yourself on this very podcast <laughs>
1: and, and for that we apologize no i'm just kidding i'm kidding <laughs> and it will be great i'm kidding <laughs> and we'll be I'm like kidding. who is and that and we'll make fun of you with all oh my god <laughs> Uh, Make Me Smart is produced by Shara Mars, senior producer. As we said, is Eve Trow. She's now healthy and healed and no longer sick, I hope. Tony Wagner is the digital producer. This week's program was engineered by Charlton Thorpe. There's no E on that, you guys. It's just T-H-O-R-P. I'm just saying. I know this is radio, but, you know. Anyway, theme music is composed by Ben Taladay (laughs) and Daniel Ramirez.
0: The executive (laughs) director of On Demand is Satara Nieves, and the senior vice president and general manager is Deborah Clark. And the funniest thing about that is I could not stop myself from clicking on the document and deleting the E.
1: Well, here's the thing. Charlton, I'm right, right? There's no E, right? There is isn't E. There's no E. There's no E. All right. Phew. I mean, I've only worked with him for like 15 years. Jesus. God, you know. <laughs>
0: I'm going to fix the Daniel part, too. Yeah. I just can't. Daniel I can't Ramirez. stop copy editing right, right now. Oh, my
1: God. What are we doing? Well, now we're leaving. Oh,
0: dear. Bye. Oh, dear. <laughs>